Uh, Paul here in his second letter to the Thessalonians is addressing the end times. Uh, when Jesus comes back and there's some fear in the church that uh, maybe the day is coming when he's coming back and it's very soon, uh, or worse yet, that Jesus has actually come back, we just don't know it. And so Paul sets to write this letter in order to clear things up. And this topic is not just a hot topic for the Thessalonians, uh, but in our world today. I mean, there have to be moments in your life where you think that the world is coming to an end. I mean, the Cubs won the World Series. The world is coming to an end. Uh, Kentucky is very close to winning the Eastern Division of the SEC. Uh, the world is coming to an end. And Washington, U the University of Washington, I didn't even know they played football in Washington State, uh, is close to being in the, uh, in the NCAA football playoffs. And so that's just a joke, but there are things that happen in our world that cause, cause us to think the world is coming to an end. When uh, Luther was in the midst of the Reformation, Luther actually thought that there was a good chance that Jesus was going to come back soon. Uh, if you lived uh, through World War II, especially in continental Europe, uh, I wouldn't call you crazy if you thought the world is coming to an end. If you lived in Rwanda in the genocide in 1994 and you thought that the world was coming to an end, you'd have good reason to believe that. And so the Thessalonians are not these crazy people who uh, are far off, but they're just like you, and they're just like me. In the past couple decades, there's been a lot uh, written and said about uh, Jesus' second coming. You may have read the Left Behind series or uh, seen the movie starring Kirk Cameron. Uh, he's uh, not come a long way since Growing Pains, uh, but nonetheless, uh, he was in those movies, and that really piqued an interest. And... So what are we to make of Jesus' second coming? Paul opens up chapter 2 saying, Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together with him, we ask you, brothers. Paul does not say you are silly people, but immediately says Jesus Christ, and not just Jesus Christ, but the Lord Jesus Christ is coming back. Uh, that is sure and certain that there is going to come a day when the trumpet shall sound and Jesus will come again and bring his kingdom with, uh, with him here on earth. Uh, that's the teaching of the Bible, and that's the teaching that Paul had here. The Lord Jesus Christ, not just the man Jesus, not just Jesus Christ, Jesus the Messiah, but the Lord, the Lord of lords and the King of kings will come again. And he will not come as a little baby born in a manger. But he will come with great power and great might, and he will rule. Later on, we'll see just how powerful he is. Rather than coming in vulnerability, he now comes in great triumph. And we will be gathered together to meet him. We ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us, to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. All of history is moving toward the return of Jesus Christ. How will he come and what will he do? 
Well, Paul here seems to insinuate that there might be a document circulating around the church that has his name on it, that says that Jesus may have already come back. There are certainly false teachers about saying that Jesus has come back. There may have been rumors, and there may have even been misunderstandings. In his first letter to the Thessalonians, which was written not too long before this one, he referred to them as children of the day, the day of the Lord. But he goes on to tell us how Jesus will come and what he will do. Now, going back to what I began this sermon with, uh, even in our own day, uh, the church, not really the church, but uh, a sect, uh, the Jehovah's Witnesses, in 1874 believed that Jesus was coming back. And when he didn't, they recalculated and said he would come in 1914. And when he didn't, They said, well, he actually came back. You just didn't see him. Well, as I said before, there are plenty of things to lead us to believe that he is coming back in our day. And so it's no wonder that Paul here talks about being shaken in mind and alarmed. Uh, The verb that he uses to describe the being shaken in mind uh, is the same one that would be used to talk about a ship moored to a dock Uh, to a wharf, and a storm comes through and undoes it, and casts it adrift. And to be alarmed is chronic anxiety. And so these people weren't just ruminating about Jesus' return. They were ships cast adrift, and they were chronically anxious about Jesus' return, or maybe we missed it. But Paul says the day is not going to come until two things happen. In verse 3 he says, something must take place and someone must appear. Now that something that must take place is a rebellion and the someone that must appear is the Antichrist, the lawless one. And when the Antichrist is made known, then a rebellion will break out. And even though he's a son of lawlessness, I like that we just assume it's a man, uh, but because he's a son of lawlessness, we assume that that he's going to bring anarchy. Initially, there will be anarchy, but ultimately, his reign will be established by a totalitarian mentality. Total control. He will take the place of God. We will be asked to worship him. Now, through the ages, there have been a lot of uh, suppositions as to who the Antichrist is, and I do believe that there have been Antichrist types who have lived uh, throughout the ages, and it's very easy for us to think that certain figures, even in our public square today, we think, maybe they're the Antichrist. Maybe he or she is the Antichrist. Well, you wouldn't be alone in that, Uh, but Paul here does lay out, not details, but he does say, Here, this is what is going to happen. Now when he says, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? This individual is going to try to take the place of God. Now, In our own lives, our hearts actually are predisposed 
to wanting other people to be gods. When we think of idols, you know, I don't think that you think of like little, little tokens, you know, that you have little statuettes that you might put up uh, on your dashboard uh, or in, uh, in your home. Uh, you know, if I said, well, what are your idols? You would probably talk about whatever the idols are that you struggle with uh, in your life, whether that be, uh, you know, envy or uh, a lust for power or, or whatever it might be, jealousy. And, uh, but rarely do we actually think of the idols in our lives as embodied in a human being. And one of the easiest places for this to take happen is in romantic relationships, especially marriage. Uh, someone once told me uh, when Lauren and I uh, were first married, I- I'll just go ahead and tell you, uh, we uh, got into a huge knockdown dragout uh, on our honeymoon. And I called uh, a friend uh, who said, uh, Andrew, spouses make bad gods. And I was taken back by that, and he said, welcome to marriage, praying for you, click. That was Paul Walker, by the way. Uh, but what he was saying, and, and he's right, is that if you think that your spouse is able to save you, if your spouse is the ultimate source for your fulfillment or any other individual, they're going to let you down. And you're going to be sorely disappointed in the same way, even in our election cycle, if you have put all of your eggs in the basket of any political candidate, your eggs are in the wrong basket. If this election has the power to completely undo you or to completely exalt you over the moon, you're looking to the wrong thing. Because the only source for comfort and hope that we have in this world is the Lord Jesus Christ. And all of those things will fade away. Listen to what Jesus says, I mean, what Paul says in verse 7. He says this, for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. And when the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. Thessalonians, if Jesus had come back, you would have known it. I love what Johnny Cash has to say about it. When the man comes around, every hair on your arm shall stand. You'll know it when the Lord Jesus comes back. It's not that you'll be walking into the Y one day and you'll see Jesus on the elliptical. Oh, hey, there you are. Why? Because he comes back for a purpose. And he comes back in this power and strength where kingdoms will fade away. And that this one who has dominion and power over the earth, this son of lawlessness, just with the breath of the Lord Jesus will be reduced to nothing. That is what happens when the Lord Jesus enters into the equation. But Paul says, look, do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? How easy it is for us to forget our first love. We know these things if you're a Christian, You know who you should be setting your eyes upon, with whom your salvation rests, who it is that knows even the numbers of hairs on your head, 
who you cannot get so far away from that he doesn't know where you are. And when you wander far off, he pursues you. And yet we have to be called back, as Paul does to the Thessalonians, to say, do you not remember when? Now, he gets into all kinds of other details that I will leave uh, to you, and uh, Matt Schneider and Zach Hicks can clear that up later. But we look to verse 13 at the very end when he says, but we ought always to give thanks to God. But, but in light of all of that, we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. You're beloved. Do you not think that when the Lord Jesus returns that he won't seek you out? That he won't gather you to himself? That he won't look for you as if he or you could be avoided in that moment. But you're beloved by the Lord. Remember who you are, that you have been bought with a price. That Jesus Christ himself was the ransom upon the cross for you. To this he called you through our gospel so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. You've been called through the good news of Jesus Christ and you've responded to that and so stand firm, my brothers and sisters, and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. When you think that the entire world around you is falling apart, you go back to the gospel. You go back to the gospel. You don't start trying to interpret signs. You don't get into those weedy areas of scripture wondering if someone could be the antichrist or maybe Jesus is already coming back or Jesus is going to come back any day now, which he could, of course. But what Paul says is stop worrying about that and rest in the good news of the person and work of Jesus Christ. Only there are you secure. Only there will you find the mighty fortress that Martin Luther found when he was struggling with the very same things. And if you do that, by the power of the Holy Spirit, if you're able to rest in God's great love and mercy for you, Paul says that the Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. Your whole world around you could be going to hell and falling apart, quite literally. And yet for those of us in the gospel, we find unspeakable comfort that is given us. So that even in the midst of danger, of persecution, of uncertainty, there is the Lord Jesus Christ. A couple of us, some sitting here in the congregation uh, tonight, I had the opportunity to go over to Rwanda this past summer, and I still have a really hard time wrapping my mind around it, uh, because within a hundred days, one million people had been killed. Men, women, and children. And some of the most barbaric and awful things were the displays in the, in the museum there in Kigali where there are 100,000 buried just there. And 
you go in and there is an entire section dedicated to children, which has their name, what their favorite thing to do was, and how they died. But what really got me was looking at the display that talked about the role of the church in the genocide. In one instance, a pastor had gathered people into his church because they thought that it would be a safe place. And once there were a thousand people in the church, he ordered bulldozers to come and cave the walls in on top of them. Another pastor called the people into his church, called the militia, and they began throwing in grenades through the windows. And I heard these stories and I asked my Rwandan friends, how could the church have any witness after that? How could anybody have their hearts opened to the good news of Jesus Christ if that is the witness of the church? And Sam Mugisha, with tears in his eyes, said, because he's our only hope. And when the country began to rebuild, you know the first thing the government did? called the leaders of the church together and said, if this country is to be bound back together and if we're to find a way forward, it has to be through grace and mercy shown to us in the person of Jesus Christ. Will you partner with us? And out of this terrible event, God's mercy has broken through. Our friend Bishop Mbanda recently did a confirmation service uh, for 250 prisoners who had come to know the Lord. All 250 of them were jailed for war crimes during the genocide who had killed even family members of this bishop. And that there he was laying his hands on these criminals who were now his brothers in the Lord Jesus. Only Jesus Christ has the power to do that. The gospel gives us perspective. We may think that the world is fading away around us, that everything is about to spin out of control, and by worldly standards, it always could. Uh, history is always repeating itself. And yet, one thing never changes, and that is Jesus Christ. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so, no matter what is going on in our world, that we would look to Him, to His good news, that we would rest in that which the Word of God tells us about what He has done for us by His cross and resurrection, and that by the power of the Holy Spirit, God would instill in us great comfort in the midst of a very uncomfortable time. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, you can do more than we could ever ask or imagine. And Lord, life is hard. And even in the midst of our daily struggles, we feel uncertain. We're not exactly sure what the future holds, but Lord, we're very grateful because we know who holds the future. And so, Lord, we look forward to the day of your return where every injustice will be made right. Uh, everything that is broken down shall be made new. And Lord, that we will be called to your side. There will be no need for a son because you yourself will be the light of the world. And so, Lord, we pray that you would instill in our hearts this great comfort of who you are and that you are the Lord who is coming again. 
In Jesus' name, amen.